I've got a direct experience of where air filtration systems have not been maintained well. And as a result of that, the cakes that were being produced weren't surviving halfway through their shelf life before they were becoming mouldy and their, you know, consumer complaints were coming in. Hello there and welcome to Let's Talk Clean Air, where we find out more about how clean air can affect the quality process for you and the workplace. This month, we're looking at how air quality can affect what we eat and drink and the challenges facing food and beverage production facilities. My name is Dusty Rhodes and joining me is Dennis Tracy and Ross Dummigan. Dennis Tracy has a distinguished career in the supply chain and fast-moving consumer goods industries, from the science laboratory to governance of business and brands. Currently, he is the CEO of Culture Compass, mentoring and leading companies in the fields of product quality, food safety, process control and health and safety. Ross Dummigan is Camphill's food and beverage segment manager for Europe with a long and successful history in the clean air industry. Gentlemen, I uh, want to start off talking about uh, air quality in food and beverage production. Can I ask Dennis to start off with what are the most important areas we should be talking about? There are a number of areas that you need to consider. First of all, uh, you need to consider the risks. So good, clean air quality is there to protect the operators and people working in that environment, either from uh, uh, dust in the air or the threat of explosions if the dusts are organic, or indeed to protect the environment to ensure that products remain as hygienic as they can possibly be. So it depends on the uh, uh, the area and the application, but uh, generally speaking, there are production areas and ingredient areas that need to be protected, Dusty. Okay, and then Ross, from your point of view then, what are the most important areas we should be talking about? From my point of view, the most important areas that we should be focusing on when we're talking about air quality is the air handling units. I mean, carrying out regular inspections of the air handling units is something that is a must within the food and beverage industry. The risks that can be posed from poorly maintained and poor hygienics being carried out on the air handling units cannot be understated. Simple things like checking your air handling, the air handling unit pressure gauges and ensuring that the proper um, gaskets and cleanliness within them cannot be understated. It is of high, high importance that this is carried out on a regular basis. Okay, Grant. So from what I get from that is we need to be thinking about people. We need to be thinking about plant and uh, food, of course, and also, as Ross says, the actual uh, equipment as well and the air units. How do we set a standard when we start talking about air quality? What standards or regulations are around air quality in a facility? Well, typically when we're talking, when we're talking about the standards for air quality, We've got uh, ISO 16890, yeah, but we also have uh, EN 1822. Now, ISO 16890 is specifically references to your general HVAC filters, and EN 1822 is your HEPA filtration standards. There are also standards for the European market, which are done under Eurovin 421 and Eurovin 423, which look at the efficiency of filter standards and energy consumption standards. We bring the sustainability element into your air quality focus too by utilising those standards. So if you want to find out what the standards are at your facility, how do you go about making the measurement? Well, can I, if I can just interject there, if I may, Dusty. So the plain and simple fact is, if you've got a process that creates dust, whether that's dust that, that's discharged into the working environment, 
or dust that's that's collected in a, in a sealed unit or, or either of those, then you want to be able to remove that dust. You want to be able to control that because it will have an adverse effect on the people. It'll create the opportunity for uh, um, combustion. And it will also, if we're talking about uh, particulates, microbiological particulates, it will create the opportunity for spores and bacteria to either uh, you know, contribute to a poor working environment or actually have a detrimental effect on the shelf life of products. So it depends upon the product. It depends upon the environment. You know, there's a very big difference between a, a bread bakery and a pharmaceutical plant. So the, sp- the standard and the specifications have, have been laid out by ISO. Uh, they are very, very clear in terms of the, the, the level of filtration, but that is applicable to the environment you're working in. You wouldn't want to put super filters into a bread bakery because, uh, as Ross has already said, you know, if you don't maintain those well, then they become actually a problem rather than a solution. So. The standard is dependent upon the application. Would you agree, Ross? Well, I would, I would for sure, Dennis. I mean, as you quite rightly said, you don't want to be putting in HEPA filters where there could be complete overkill for the application and ultimately, you know, carrying out an assessment of what sort of air quality you would need for your facility is highly important. Now, within, to come in on that, within food and beverage, we typically have got our four uh, zones that uh, a lot of companies apply within the industry, which is your low care medium care, uh, high care and high risk zones, which would typically which would typically then define the type of filters that would be used within these areas, be it from your, your general coarse filters up to your high efficiency filters, your HEPA filters. Um, and that's, that's obviously of high importance. Dennis, uh, because you're dealing with a, a lot of very different companies, how aware do you think uh, people in facilities are of the standards? Well, it, it, it's not just facilities, it's engineering, it's uh, new product development, it's technical. So if you're setting up a business from scratch, Dusty, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, my advice is always going to be to get experts in. So whatever that may be, and we're talking about particularly filtration here. So you've got an ideal business partner in Camfield. So you, you go to people that know and understand uh, the technology of filters and filtration, airflow, volumes of, of transfer, the levels of dust, et cetera. So they can come in and they can do a, a full evaluation of your plant. Uh, understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to remove dust from the environment or you're trying to collect dust from a silo system. What is it you want to do? If somebody like Ross could, could come in and evaluate that, then they can determine a plan, which is not just the specific size and, and nature of the filters and the filtration, but also, again, back to Ross's point, the plan to ensure that once you've invested in this equipment, that it maintains a good production flow, that it maintains a good level of operation. And that is based on, you know, good practices, uh, regular maintenance, uh, checks, the changing of filters when, uh, when appropriate. And that's all, that will all be laid down in the guidelines, manufacturing guidelines. And that's very applicable to your production environment. But that's what I would do from the start. So, Ross, if auditing is your area, how do you go about auditing? Well, typically what we would like to see within the industry is an auditor going up to the general HVAC or heating, ventilation, air conditioning equipment and taking the time to open the door and have a look at the components within the, within the air handling unit, to ensuring that the products inside the air handling unit are clean, fit for purpose, 
and suitable with the current standards. Unfortunately, what we see within the within the auditing uh, principles and auditing actions, that doesn't tend to happen. And that's, an, that's something that is a huge concern for us because from what we've seen with product callbacks uh, and issues with air quality and contamination of the food chain, typically this tends to happen from poor air quality. We've, what we would like to see is auditors coming in and inspecting the certification for the filters, looking at the seals and the gaskets on the air handling units to ensure that they're fit for purpose, they're in good condition, they're not damaged. Any damage to your seals and gaskets within your air handling unit is a route for bypass of your filtration. You could have the best filters in the world within your unit if you've got damage to your framework, if you've got damage to your unit, if you've got compromisation of your coils or mechanical uh, equipment in the air handling unit then it's posing a huge risk to the air quality that's being supplied to the unit. That then has a huge knock-on effect to the risk that's being caused, to the food that's being consumed within our food and beverage facility. And again, if the audits are going to consider taking into account the air quality, this is all normal day-to-day things that should be looked at when uh, audits are taking place. So that's how you identify if there's an air quality problem? If we're going to identify from an air quality problem, what you would normally see, and Dennis, I'm open to correction here, is you would normally see test plates either in the air handling unit or along the along the production floor, and these are monitored on on a, a regular basis from the microbiologists on the site. If there is deemed to be a risk posed from the in the production floor or in the air handling unit, then there'll obviously be a, a root cause analysis done or an RCA done to identify where that risk is coming from. Dennis, you want to throw something in there? Yeah, I, I would. And, and, and for me, my experience has always shown me that the, the ownership, uh, where, where the ownership for filtration sits generally gets confused. So if you're a, a technical person or, or you're, you might be a health and safety professional and you're establishing a good set of credentials for your production environment. So you, you understand your, your, your environment, you understand what it is you're trying to control, Dusty. Mm-hmm. Then you get a professional like Ross and the team in to evaluate, you know, what filter you need, how much flow you need, et cetera, et cetera. You establish that, decide on what equipment you have, and you decide on the filters, you, filters you're putting in place. That's fine from day one. But what happens uh, and how does that deteriorate? And the, the problems I found is that the ownership for the ongoing maintenance and repair tends to be uh, with another department. It might be sit with engineering, it might sit with facilities. And engineering facilities may not fully understand how important things are. So they may decide that uh, they don't, you know, they, they're, they're under pressure. So this changing of a filter every week or every month or whatever may not be set at the top of their priority list. So, they, so those gaps uh, in the filter changes start to extend. They also might be looking at uh, budget challenges. So they might decide to buy uh, an alternative filter, which looks cheaper and seems to be uh, ch- cheaper, but perhaps doesn't offer the same level of protection. So, of course, auditing is absolutely vital because that gets into the into the into the equipment itself. But you know, there's an easier indicator, and that is, you know, is the filter doing what it's supposed to do? Is it taking air out? Of, uh, is it taking dust out of the environment? Is it controlling dust? Are you seeing your particulates or your spools or your microbiology, you know, um, displaying as it should do? So is the, is the thing actually working? And then 
often the audit is, as, as Ross says, is the root cause to find out why it isn't, not rather whether it is or it isn't, you know, because you'll see that manifested in the failure of the system itself. You spoke about many different uh, departments and, and having different points of view when it comes to air quality. Ultimately, whose responsibility is it? Does it come down to one person or should it be a team working together? Well, you always need, whenever you're divine, decided, uh, deciding on or defining a, a strategy for anything, and, and in this particular case, air filtration, yes, you do need a number of um, you need a number of uh, functions to apply their knowledge. So you'll need engineering to ensure that you've got the, the means to be able to install, you've got the, the right flow of air, you've got you know, power and all that sort of thing, you, good, you know, safe power. Uh, you need the uh, health and safety practitioner, uh, the person that's looking to ensure that the dust is controlled in the right way so that it doesn't present a risk to operators, it doesn't present a combustion risk. And then if you're talking about microbiological quality, then you will need uh, somebody from the technical department to ensure that, they, that their, their requirements and their standards are met. So, yes, absolutely, it's a multifunctional team. But I would also involve procurement in there because quite often if procurement, if the procurement team don't understand the necessity for ensuring that the right equipment is bought and the right replacement parts are bought, then that's quite often where problems can occur. And I've got lots of experience of, Everyone thinking everything's fine, and suddenly there's a problem, and you find out that the procurement team, who've got their own pressure challenges or their own financial challenges, have decided to go and buy a, a, a filter from a different uh, supplier. And that filter doesn't quite fit, or the gaskets aren't quite right, or the filtration levels aren't quite there, and suddenly you, 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 you believe that you're, uh, you're maintaining well, but you're actually not, and, and you've got a you've got a disenfranchised uh, 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 component that's creating the problem for you. And just, uh, and I have to echo Dennis's sentiments there. I mean, too often uh, we've been, we've been working with customers for a long period of time. And, you know, again, it's whose, whose responsibility does the air filters lie with and who defines exactly what type of air filtration requirements are needed for the specific site. And once we have the clarity and once we have people on site that take complete ownership of air filters, air quality, then it means that, right, it significantly reduces the risk of there being issues on site. And again, it ultimately eliminates procurement going out to a, going out to a, a vendor who is going to be going in looking for the business based on price. And essentially what we've seen in the past is people that are coming on site offering cheaper alternatives to a filtration product, more often than not, are not compliant with the current standards and thereby introduce unnecessary risk of food uh, or, or this serious to the food production process by putting in products that are not fit for purpose and should not or ne ever be used within the food and beverage industry. It's so important that all stakeholders within the process for producing food are involved when it comes to air quality and essentially that they have the knowledge and have the training to make the right decisions when they're selecting their filters for the for, to, to address the air quality concerns and air quality requirements that they have at their facility. Okay, so that's that's an awful lot of talk about risk, but can either of you give me an example of where air quality has affected the actual product? Yeah, I, I most definitely, Dusty. I can give you a couple of examples. So um, when you're uh, producing, uh, particularly cakes, uh, and in my in my ambient world, you know, cakes uh, offer a much higher moisture level, so they're much 
more prone to the growth of xerophilic uh, uh, yeast and moles. So these are yeast and moles that can live at a very, very low moisture level. So they can cause the product to go moldy, so thereby affecting shelf life. Now, the way you control that obviously is with recipe. But if you're, if you're, you know, you believe as I've always done in ensuring that products are clean, then you don't want to put too many chemicals in there. You want them to be natural. You want them to be uh, healthy and good for you. So your your other alternative is to control the environment to ensure that you don't get uh, a level of spore or mold or yeast buildup in the environment that overloads the product such that it can't survive uh, through its shelf life. And where um, I've got a direct experience of where filtration, air filtration systems have not been maintained well, uh, where they either haven't, or both, both they haven't been maintained well and the procurement team actually bought substandard filters, even though they were the right shape and size and they were deemed to be compatible. In fact, they weren't the right substance, nature, and quality. They did not provide the right level of control. And what that did was that, that caused a filtration system that was designed to reduce and remove contamination from actually generating it. So these became so uh, contaminated that they were actually blowing uh, contamination out into the environment. And as a result of that, the, the cakes that were being produced weren't surviving halfway through their shelf life before they were becoming moldy and their you know, consumer complaints were coming in. So that's one example. I've got other examples of, uh, of, of um, infestation. So if you, uh, as Ross has already quite rightly said, you must maintain your systems well. You must use the right equipment. You must uh, uh, have the right plans in place. Uh, because if you don't, and if you've got an organic system, maybe a flower system, uh, then you can, you run the risk of infestation. There are what we call in the trade um, stored product insects, which are naturally occurring in, in things like flower. And if you don't maintain good hygiene, then these can become a, a major problem. So imagine not cleaning your filters out. Uh, and getting those infested, and they'll just multiply. So you can create a problem uh, that's a hygiene problem as well as a, a food safety problem. So there's two examples that I can tell you from personal experience. Mm, Ross, what uh, what examples have you got? Well, we we have a we had a site in France a number of years ago who had a, a serious issue with uh, salmonella. Now the problem that, that we had was that. This uh, this customer in particular had uh, four particular sites in in France. Now, one of the sites did not deal with us, and historically, it was down to price. Now, we knew the products that were in use at this particular site uh, were of low quality, questionable standards, and essentially, what happened was the the problem that occurred due to the air quality was that there was the introduce our introduction of salmonella into the product that was being consumed by customers. Now, the root cause of that was poor air quality and putting in filters that were not suitable for that level of particle to capture it within the, within the ventilation system. That's just, one, that's just one example that we've seen. Now, thankfully, that customer saw the light and accepted that, okay, this cannot be all about cost. And when we're talking about cost of air filters, there doesn't have to be a compromisation for you know putting in good filters and having a you know a negative cost. Good filters can save you money also. I mean, at Camphor, we offer a, a range of filters 
that can save you money and will not compromise on air quality. So, I mean, the examples, the examples on the market uh, that you can see, certainly on the CAFA website, are limitless. There's plenty, there's, there's plenty to reference there. But when it comes to food and beverage, it's a case of, look, put in the correct filters that are applicable to your industry and make sure that you do not introduce a risk to your facility. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, Ross has hit on the, the, the absolute fundamental theme here, uh, Dusty, and that is risk. You know, if a business doesn't understand its risks, doesn't understand what the means are to manage those risks, then it will be unconsciously incompetent. So, so a procurement person or an engineer uh, might d- decide that they can, you know, cut corners in either the maintenance of or the installation of or in the, um, the procurement of uh, uh, replacement parts or whatever it may be. And, and if you don't apply that back to risk, then you're going to end up with uh, your risks being compromised or not controlled. And that, so the first start, start point for all of this is a proper and comprehensive risk assessment by competent people and we're back to Dusty, that uh, uh, that, uh, that team of people mm. uh, with different skills, different abilities. But I would always add in there an expert, an external expert. So my, if you like, my uh, environment team would always, if I'm looking to understand risk and understand how to manage my risk, I'd always involve a professional uh, like somebody from Camfield to ensure that we are all understanding our risk because sometimes perspective comes from an external source and you know when you're in a business an isolated business you might not have any any external input so it's great to to always use experts from the industry who've been around you know so Ross will have seen installations in many many different types of industries so you know why wouldn't you speak to people who know what they're talking about so risk is important and a professional audit is hugely important uh, by getting somebody in who knows what they're talking about and they're external and they're not involved in the day-to-day and they don't have all the history that you would find. Working with the team that are managing the facility is very important and then you assess the risk, but you also then assess the reward. So, you know, if your risk is that your product is going to go off uh, within a week, the reward will be that your product will last longer and you've got happier customers. Is my understanding of what you've been saying good so far? It, it is. It is. All right. Now, aside from filters then, all right, because filters are hugely important, what other common problems have you guys encountered? Well, typically, from uh, from my perspective, what we what we see is that as food and beverage facilities grow and introduce new equipment and new processes and more people, what they tend to forget about is the air quality. They tend to forget about the plant and equipment that's needed to be an addition on, onto their onto their expansion. Uh, we had one call, we had one customer in particular who was. Uh, who had expanded uh, their filling lines on a beverage production application, who had expanded their filling lines. They had expanded their workforce. They had also expanded plant and equipment. So you're talking about introduction of forklifts, pallets, uh, a lot of stuff that was going to be in the in, in and around the aseptic filling equipment that was generating particles and it could have a negative impact on the performance of that equipment. And there was no consideration given on that expansion to the general ventilation system so the the system that would provide clean air to that environment and the clean air that surrounded the aseptic filling machines 
Now, the knock-on effect of that was that the filling machines that were being used in this applications or these applications were having a, a really, really short life and they weren't performing as designed. That's just one example that, uh, that we've seen when people don't give the due consideration to the design and, I suppose, expansion to their facilities and the air quality that's required for the applications to manufacture their product. Yeah, but I would generalize it in terms of change. So what, what we've already said is that when we've got a new process or a new, a new adventure that we're embarking upon, we get a properly risk-assessed determination of our environment and what we need to control, dust in the environment, et cetera, et cetera, microbes in the environment. We then, with our multi-skilled team, we establish what it is we need and we go to the professionals to ensure that we buy what we need. We put then a plan in place to ensure that that is well-maintained and that equipment does what it says it does and what it promises to do as long as we look after it. All of that is, is established. And we also establish that the people that are most, have, are, are most important to that are the people that own that process going forward. The next thing we need to consider is change. And Ross has made that point well. Anything that you change as a result of that needs a, re, a risk assessment, Dusty. So if you change the, the number of people or the size of the environment or the speed of the, uh, of the, you know, the flow or the volume of air or the amount of dust that you're creating, whatever, whatever you change needs to have a re-evaluation. And that team needs to come back again and do that. We call that um, HACCP. Uh, in uh, microbiological in, in food safety, where you you reconvene the HACCP team because you've changed something, and it can be anything: it can be people, recipe, environment, uh, um, uh, materials. But you've got to go back and start again with the risk assessment and make sure that you haven't missed anything. Yeah, I, I echo um, the sentiments there. I mean, it's it's clear that you need when you're looking at air quality. If there is an issue on site, it's always important to bring a fresh set of eyes, some from outside the company, to have a look at the broader view when we're looking at it. I, I can't tell you how many times that I've been on site where I've witnessed, you know, a, a really, really easy problem that we would see it as, you know, indoor air quality experts. And basically the people that we've been working with on the site have been completely bamboozled by us and thinking, why didn't we, why, you know, why didn't we bring you in sooner to look at this? It, it's, it's always important to bring in a fresh set of eyes, someone that has been doing what they've been doing within the air quality industry and within the air filtration industry for a number of years that knows what they're talking about and is going to identify the problem and help you solve it and ensure that that is completely mitigated against from moving forward within the food production industry. If I go on to go into my facility tomorrow and keeping everything that we have discussed in mind today, uh, what kind of things should I be looking at in the next 24 hours? First, first and foremost, what I would be what I would be looking at when you when you go in in the morning is go up and look at your air handling unit. Look at your magnahelic gauges. Make sure that your filters are not reaching their final pressure differential, and that they do not need the, they're operating within the ranges that they need to operate in, and that they do not need to be changed. There is a there is a misconception out on the market about changing filters on time. Let me be very clear. You should not change your filters on time. You should change your filters basing it on their pressure differential. Allowing your filters to be changed on time could have a detrimental effect on the, on the performance of your plant and equipment that's providing clean air to your facility. Also, it's important to note going down and ensuring that your team is up to speed on 
the equipment, what's up there, how it works, how many are the regular checks put in place to ensure that they're in a good working order. That, that from an air quality perspective, that's what I would begin with. Dennis, do you want to come in there and say anything? Yeah, I would, I would look for the obvious things. You know, imagine you're a layman. Imagine you ask uh, Dusty to, to take a walk around the plant and say, look, you know, have a look at what you, what the environment. So bear in mind, you know, we've got a lot of dust hand, we, we're handling a lot of bags of material. There's a lot of dust in the air. What does it look like? Does it look like it's working? Are people coming out covered in flour or sugar or, you know, does, does it look like there's a, a, there's a lot of dust on top of surfaces? If, if you see that simple thing, you don't have to know about gauges or filters or anything. You're just looking at what's obvious. And my uh, experience has been, you know, to, to play the stupid card, I walk around and say, should all of those panels be covered in, you know, a, a half a centimetre of dust? Is that a normal practice? Should that be the case? And then from that, you just say, well, how often do you change your filters? When was the last time your filters were changed? Who's responsible for that? Can you show me the records for your preventive maintenance plans? And, you, you know, it's pretty soon you'll know that you're, you're onto a, a problem that no one either realises or, or is taking as seriously as they should do. And then you can get into opening systems up, looking at the, the pressure differentials. But, you know, just look for the stupid, straightforward, simple things for a start. Well, some excellent advice on the uh, podcast this month. If you would like to find out more about this, uh, do follow the links in the show notes below. You'll find them in the description of the podcast on your phone or whichever device you're listening to us on. They include links and contact details and anything else that you might need to get more information. Uh, Dennis Tracy and uh, Ross Dummigan, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Dusty. Our podcast today was produced by Camphill, a world leader in the development and production of air filters and clean air solutions. Do remember, you can get the podcast automatically every month by just clicking the subscribe button on your player right now. For now, though, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon.